This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first readings from Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. The second reading is from Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 5, verses 21, and, and the last one's from Micah 2, 1 to 5. Neither shall you covet your neighbour's wife, neither shall you desire your neighbour's house, or field, or male, or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Alas, for those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds... When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in their power. They covet fields and seize them, houses, and take them away. They oppress householder and house, people and their inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, now I am devising against this family an evil from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. On that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you, and wail with bitter lamentation, and say, We are utterly ruined. The Lord alters the inheritance of my people, how he removes it from me. Among our captors he parcels out our fields. Therefore you will have no one to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My name's Tim, and I will be looking especially at this 10th commandment, do not covet together. So as we begin, let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have revealed yourself to us, not only who you are, but also how you want us to live. So we pray tonight that you would be by your, with us by your Spirit among us and in each of us, changing us and transforming us. Help us to see afresh the grace of the grace from you towards us and its transforming power in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to this final commandment, do not covet. And this one, I think, really hits us hard. When you go through the other commandments so far, a lot of them can seem pretty possible. Do not murder. Don't have to worry about that. I think I'm all right there. Uh, don't, uh, don't steal. Okay, I don't have a habit of stealing. Worship one God. All right, I've not worshipped uh, any golden calves lately. I think I'm all right. 
But then you get to coveting, the desire for more. And it's so deep in our bones. And so if coveting is off the table, then we're really in trouble. There's a story of Jesus meeting a wealthy young man. And he, this wealthy young man, he, he asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to him, he, he answers him, and he actually lists the commandments. He says, well, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not defraud anyone, uh, and you shall honor your father and mother. And the young man thinks, oh, well, that's, that sounds pretty good to me. Jesus, I, uh, I've kept all those since I was a boy. But did you notice which commandment Jesus left out? He did it for effect. He left out the commandment not to covet. So then Jesus tells him, sell all your things and give, to, give it all to the poor. And this man walked away sad because he was wealthy. And not just that, he loved his wealth. His desire for his wealth was deep. And so this command that commands even our desires exposed him. But is desire really that bad? There are so many good things in life. You know, we just talked about the things we might want for our birthdays. And uh, these are all, well, I don't know what you guys, but all the things I want for my birthday are all good things. Things that are good for us to enjoy. Is it really wrong as well to, be, to desire to be healthy and well? Or to desire to have good relationships and fulfilling relationships? Is it really wrong even to desire gain? We can have good plans and projects to bring about good. Is it really wrong to, have the, to desire the resources to bring those about? And desire is so deep in us as well. It's what gets us up in the morning and what keeps us, it's what keeps us motivated, keeps us going, drives our day. Our desires keep us fed and housed. They keep us connected with, with each other. So how then do we make sense of this commandment? That, that literally, you know, in, there's no difference between the word for covet and desire. It's the same thing. It, it literally is talking about don't desire these things. So how do we make sense of this commandment? Is the desire for gain really that bad? And since it's so deep in us, how could we possibly contain it? Well, I think the first thing to say about coveting is that it's not the same as ordinary desire. It's not the same as ordinary desire. When God created humanity, put them in the garden, uh, the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden back in Genesis 2, he put them into a garden that was literally desirable to the eye. It was full of beautiful and good things, beautiful and, and rich uh, plant life, um, beautiful river and, and minerals, and all the rich, sweet fruits that they could eat. And we were made to desire, and the world was made desirable. So, and then, we, so then, when you look at that list that we had in the commandment, could we have the uh, the commandment back up again? That's uh, uh, Deuteronomy, no, uh, Deuteronomy 5, that's it. Look at the list of things there. They're genuinely good and desirable things. 
a beautiful house, a powerful ox, a sleek and fast donkey. I mean, who doesn't want one of those? They're possessions that bring joy, and they make money. Throughout, and throughout the Bible, you've got to remember that being prosperous is a blessing. You can feed your family, you can make plans and do them. And, it's, and it also talks about personal relationships too. That's why the commandment uh, begins with not coveting your neighbor's wife. Yes, marriage was an economic arrangement, but it was also much more than that. And so it's, right, it's actually right for us elsewhere in the Bible to want good, intimate, and fulfilling relationships. The commandment also mentions a house, or better, a household. This is, so this is less about a mansion on Point Piper, and this is more about the whole network of relationships and meaning and value in our lives, in the, especially in the ancient household unit. Things that meant peace and rest and satisfaction. Now, all these things, when you look through the rest of the Bible, all of these things are desirable and good. So, I feel like I still haven't made anything clearer. <laughs> then what, what do we do about this commandment? What's it saying? Well, the commandment is where, about when desire goes wrong. It's about when desire goes wrong. And that's when desire becomes coveting. Desire goes wrong when it disrupts the right relationships that God has made us for. God has made us, he made us in the creation to relate well to God and to relate well to each other and to the created world. And desire goes wrong when we desire in a way that disrupts those created relationships. And it does it in three ways. The first is that desire becomes coveting when we desire created things too much. So instead of having our desires under control, they take over us and they drive our lives. And then it means that the good things in creation become our God. And we swim in a sea of discontent. Our culture just wants, we live in a culture that just wants more and more. And we live in a system that generates, that drives deep content. Now, experts um, estimated, this was five years ago, so it's probably increased even now, that average adults are exposed to between four and 10,000 ads a day. Four and 10,000 ads a day. And so we are helpless lambs to the discontentment slaughter. We feel constantly discontent. We think we need, we just need that thing and then we'll be happy. That pay rise, that holiday, that look, that school, that relationship. If only I had that, then I would be content. And it means too that we tend to acquire things with unquenchable greed. More money, more food, more clothes, more shoes, more guitars, more devices, more square meters more experiences, more stamps on the passport. For me, <clears throat> I, I remember having a very clear example of this. Uh, of me, it used to be CDs, buying CDs, buying new music. And I remember once walking into JB Hi-Fi and, uh, and then walking back out again without buying anything. And I was overcome by this feeling of, just of like flatness and dissatisfaction. And I had to call my friend 
kind of as an accountability partner. Mate, you've got to help me. I've just walked out of JB without buying a CD, and I feel awful. I had this unquenchable desire to accumulate. What is it for you that you just need to accumulate? The thought of acquiring then can also flood our minds. Have you had that experience where you want something so much, it just kind of sticks in your mind all the time, and you start to plan and scheme about how you're going to get what you want, or like which, which model are you going to get, and how, what are the different prices of those, and it kind of overtakes you. For me, I know this sounds, this is a bit exposing, isn't it? I know this found, sounds a bit silly, but I've been like this with guitars. I mentioned guitars before, you know, planning and scheming about how I would get the next one, and then that would, that would be the one that would really complete me. Um, you complete me. Now, so what is it for you? What is it that you plan and scheme about that you know, feels like it will really fulfill you? This is coveting, when, we, when our desire gets out of control and we desire too much. But another way that desire goes wrong and disrupts our creative relationships is when it turns us against each other. It turns us against each other. Did you notice the way that the commandment put it? Uh, it's still up there. Thank you very much. It says, you shall not covet... No, it was still there. All good. Uh, neither shall you covet your, na- your neighbor's wife. Neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When you desire something that belongs to someone else, it turns you against them. They move away from becoming... Uh, someone who you love or someone on your side to becoming someone who you are jealous of, someone who becomes your competitor. Uh, You heard the reading from the gospel uh, when the man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, come and please resolve this dispute that I have with my brother about the inheritance. Have you, seen, have you seen this kind of thing before? I'm, I'm sure many of us have seen this kind of, exactly this issue before. I've seen it. Siblings refuse to speak to each other, to refuse to forgive because they want the inheritance or some other arrangement that the other one got. It's an utter tragedy. And so when we look at people and then want what they have, and we want their relationship, want their, uh, want their job, want their house, it becomes a bitter root in us. So treasuring jealousy like this in our hearts poisons you and poisons your relationships. The final way that our desire goes wrong is when it turns us away from God. In response to the man that came to Jesus, uh, Jesus says, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, but could we have the next... Slide, please. Thank you. And he told them this parable. But as you, as you listen to me read this out, think, who is at the center of this parable? And who is missing? He thought to himself. Sorry, the land of a rich man had produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will put down my barns and build larger ones. Pull down my barns and build larger ones. 
And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This man's covetousness turned him against God. He turned in on himself. Instead of acknowledging God's provision, he just made his own plans for it. Instead of speaking to God, did you notice that's a very strange way of speaking. I will say to my soul, soul. But he's speaking to himself instead of God. And instead of giving to others, instead of giving towards God's kingdom, he just stores away for his own enjoyment. So he can just eat, drink, and be merry. His desires have turned him away from God. And this is where the commandments come full circle. Remember the first commandment we started with? Worship the Lord alone. Do not worship any other gods. This final commandment forces us to ask whether our desire for stuff undermines that fundamental relationship with God. Now this, I think, is a little harder for us to identify because we don't kind of obviously go, hmm, I'm going to buy a house and now I'm not going to listen to God or something like that. Not that buying a house is bad. But you see what I mean? It's not necessarily, it's not very easy to see. But I think I've seen it. I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, I think of a young guy who was in my Bible study maybe about 15 years ago. He was at the beginning of his career. And I saw him make this decision kind of bit by bit to give more time and energy towards his lucrative career until eventually he just walked away. Or I think of a middle-aged Christian whose Christian zeal slowly faded over time as his zeal for accumulation and accolades grew throughout his life. And I think of retirees who travelled the world and let their faith and fellowship fizzle out. Our coveting can turn us away from God. It turns us away from God. So what can we do? How can we get a handle on our coveting? How can we do something about it? Well, the problem is that it's not that simple because if coveting is about our desires gone wrong, then it tells us something really tragic and that's a massive problem about our hearts. It really exposes how deep sin really goes. We can't just get a, get a handle on coveting, just remove it from us, because it's so deeply ingrained. And so this commandment exposes the depths of our sin. Now, this is why, you know, right at the start, I mentioned how Jesus talked to that rich young man and he held out on the coveting commandment until he kind of brought it out at the end as the trump card. He did that because that commandment is the one that exposes the true depth of sin. And it's the same thing for the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. Uh, you can read it for yourself later. He says he doesn't, I paraphrase, he says he doesn't know what sin is until the law told him what coveting was. It exposed the depths of his heart. It suggests that every part of us, not just our actions, but our thoughts and our desires are tainted by sin. So despite what people might say, that you should just follow your gut and do what feels right, you can't always follow your desires. It's not to say they're always wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they're tainted. They're mixed with sin. 
We can't control them either. The philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer once said that a man or a person can do what they will, but they cannot will what they will. They can do what they will, but they cannot will what they will. And his point is that our desires are so, uh, are so tainted by sin. And so just trying to stop coveting won't work. The problem's too deep and pervasive. And so what we need as the fundamental starting point is a change from within. Uh, we talk a lot around here about being transformed by grace. And what I love about this mission, vision, statement, whatever, is that it begins not with what we are going to do or what we have done. It begins with what God is doing, what God has done. It's, it's passive. We're the object. God is doing this in us, or he has done this through Jesus Christ in us. He brings transformation. And so if coveting has a hold on you, this is the place that you must start you need Jesus' death and resurrection to cleanse you and deliver you from the grip of coveting. And so, confess your sinful desires. Confess your coveting. And he will forgive. And he will draw you out of its grip. We need our spirit to transform our minds, reorganize our desires, so we want the right things in the right order. And so, ask him, learn from him, and ask him for his transforming spirit in you. And we need God's love in us to begin to satisfy our desires. Those feelings of not being enough that drive us to want more and more and more. We need God's love to fill us, to satisfy us with living water and spiritual food that nourishes us forever. That's where we need to start. But from there, where do we go? If we actually want to do some practical things to avoid coveting, well, I want to finish with three final things. And there's a way of thinking about this. I was reading a Christian ethicist this week. His name's Gilbert Mylander, great name. And uh, he talks about, with respect to coveting, that we need to have these two twin relationships. We both need to enjoy and renounce. Enjoy and renounce. And it's this dance, this balance. But he says that in our culture, we probably need to focus on renouncing. But I'll get to that. But starting with the enjoying. And the way we can do this is enjoy what we have and give thanks to God for it. You really can enjoy the good things you have. The answer isn't to give up desire. That's not where, what we're about. That is a very common misunderstanding of Christianity. That it's about just pushing your desires down. No, it's a, it begins with enjoying the good things that God has given us and to cultivate thankfulness through it. I've talked before about beginning uh, prayer time when you pray, in, whenever it is, morning, evening, whatever, to always be wanting to give thanks. And that's a great place to start. Another practice that uh, might just seem a little quaint and that, or even offhand is just saying grace. You know, we say grace before meals, another way of just saying, saying thank you to God for our food. But I think this is a really powerful way, not just to say a rehearsed line that you say every day, but actually to with every, whoever you're with or with it's by yourself, just to think through the things that God has given you today, including what you have in front of you. 
That's a great practice to, to be in. Another is to, might, you might like to try is to line up Thanksgiving with Sabbath. So maybe on a particular meal on a Saturday or Sunday, uh, you might want to give someone a call or with the people who you're with to, or, and set an alarm on your phone to do this each week to spend a good chunk of time maybe after you've finished and you're feeling a little relaxed to meditate on, reflect on some of the good, the good things in life that you've experienced over the week and then to give thanks together for it. And so end the week with a sense of ease and gratitude, of appreciation and peace and prayer. Thanksgiving is really important because a couple of important things happen when we give thanks. One is that we become content. It helps us to be content because we recognize the good things that we have and so we don't need more and more. And when we give thanks, we learn to trust God. We learn that he is the one who gives. And so we learn to rely on him to give us what we need. So we don't need to keep grasping after it. All right, so that's the enjoying side of things. But the other side of the coin is along the renouncing side of things. Renouncing things we covet is so important because our eyes, what our eye sees, we desire. And when you have in front of your eyes the very things that you want to covet, or the very things that you covet, they only grow bigger and shinier. And, uh, you know, when Jesus says that uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, that's what he's talking about. The things that you treasure, like physically have and hold as important, they're the things that will consume your heart and desires. And so if you're coveting something and you want to stop coveting it, the answer is just to, to put it away. Move it away from you. Stop watching your investments every day. Stop looking at, at real estate. What's that TV show about real estate around here? Someone was telling me this morning how they watch it and it might not be the best thing for them. Uh, Michael, I know you watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, something like that. Uh, you know, Lux Properties, Lux Real Estate or something like that. Uh, sure, fine. But if you're coveting homes, don't look at the real estate catalogs um, or the garden magazines. Or it might be, for you, it might be travel blogs or wandering into car dealerships. I'm just going to kick a few tires because I love Jaguars. Uh, or shoe stores or bookshops. Or visiting Amazon oh, for books, okay, that, that hurts. When you stop looking at these things, the shine wears off. But the other way that we can renounce is a bit more positive, and that is we can give generously of what we have. This is a way of redirecting our desires. Instead of wanting more, we give it up. Instead of turning against others and against God, we turn towards them with generosity. We can give our time. God gives us time and it feels so precious and we want more of it. But God wants us to be generous with it. So instead of turning away from him, we can turn towards him and towards his people by being generous with our time. Like here, right? we come to church each week and we don't, you don't come just for yourself. You come also for the others around you. It's a way of, that is a way of being generous with your time as well as looking for other ways to be serving and contributing at church. And more broadly, too, instead of turning against others, we can, serve, we can 
serve others like people doing it tough. One example is the ministries of Rough Edges and Banksy Women, who uh, we support. And they, are, they really need people to serve. And actually, at the end of this month, they're having a, um, a volunteer information night on the 27th of April. And I really recommend that, recommend that to you. 6.30 p.m., um, an hour or two. They also have, they, do, they involve training as well for being involved there, uh, especially with victims of domestic violence and people who are doing it tough with respect to homelessness. So that's that's one, just one way that you could potentially give of your time. You can also give your money. All our money comes from God, and God wants us to be generous with it. And so we can give it to God's kingdom, and we can give it to people in need. Now, we have a deep history of this, um, us at St. Mark's and Christians in general. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, every year the Israelites gathered up a tenth, a whole tenth, 10%. Imagine that, 10% of what you earn. They gather up 10% and then they would take it either to the temple in Jerusalem or to the city gates of their local town uh, of their wine and oil and grain and livestock and they would give it there for, uh, for the poor, for immigrants, for widows, for orphans and for the priests and the work of God. And it would be there for them to use, 10%, which is a good starting point a good guideline. And then in the New Testament, Christians continue to be generous with their money. Uh, They generously give to the poor, to people in need, and they give to the work of God, to their local church and to other churches around the place. You look at the uh, Paul's letters especially, you look at the beginnings of them and the ends of them, and he tends to, in a few of them, he kind of talks about gifts that are going all over the place. And this is what he's talking about kind of collecting money for different church ministries around the place. And at St. Mark's too, we have a long history of generous, generous giving. And I think it's so important that we keep it up. And finally, we can give our love. Now this might sound a little corny, giving our love. But I really do mean it. And But I mean it, I, I guess, a little practically. And that is in the sense that when you are jealous of somebody and you're coveting somebody's things, it makes such a difference when you turn towards them in love, when you pray for them, or you have them over for a meal, you spend time with them, you really listen to them. When we show real love and genuine care, it's, really, it's a lot easier to stop coveting. Well, God has been so generous to us and he calls us not to live a life of coveting, of generosity and of looking out for others, showing love to others. So let's ask for his help as we seek to do so. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have been so generous to us in our Lord Jesus Christ and by giving your spirit to us. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to hear this commandment tonight and to be transformed by your spirit so that we would be people who covet the right things, whose desires are ordered in the right way. And so help us to desire godliness and desire generosity. Uh, Help us to keep away from the things that make us covet and instead turn towards others and you in love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.